This season of Influencing Entrepreneurs is brought to you by the Entrepreneurs Organization of Charlotte. EO Charlotte is part of the world's premier network of successful entrepreneurs, embracing the unique qualities of the entrepreneur. Desire to build? Extreme achievement? Quest for new experiences. EO opens a new world for peers to learn from and inspire each other, leading tremendous business successes and a richer personal life. EO Charlotte, where entrepreneurs belong. Coming up on Influencing Entrepreneurs. Nothing against working at the bank and being a project manager, but it was like the easiest job I ever had. It was the most money I'd ever made, but I hated it. <laughs> I was just like, I cannot sit in front of a computer. That's not my like idea of a great way to spend my day. And um, I just was always itching to kind of like start my own thing. And I was like that from the time I was like teeny tiny. Now, I wasn't the lemonade stand and trying to figure out how to make money when I was little, but I was a dreamer. And so I always had this like very visionary personality of like what my life was gonna be like. And it wasn't sitting in front of a computer right. <laughs> as a project manager. After years of teaching entrepreneurship and consulting with multiple companies, I realized that when business leaders share stories of not only their successes, but their mistakes, it had a huge impact in the classroom. So I thought, why not document those stories? On this episode of Influencing Entrepreneurs, we'll hear from Amber Lewis. Amber is the visionary behind The Good Kitchen, a sustainably sourced meal prep service. Amber's passion for food grew out of her own personal journey to wellness. I'm Casmer Ward, and this is Influencing Entrepreneurs. So um, so you're running the Good Kitchen right now. Yeah. Talk a lot about that. you got a really big extension bringing on Tom Brady's TB12 brand. But this didn't start off as an internet, you know, food ordering system. Where did it start? Sure. So we, my husband and I were CrossFit coaches, and um, we taught an outside boot camp as well. And so through that, we would run nutrition challenges, primarily based in the paleo lifestyle and diet. And so um, we would run these paleo challenges and people would stick with it for 30 days and we would track their food and everything they were eating. And then I started to notice after 30 days, people would just stop, even though they would see these like amazing results. And the more I talked to people, the more I realized it was because they didn't have time or you know, the 30 days was fun and it was this challenge, but they were just really too busy to keep up with the, the lifestyle. And so um, on Sunday evenings, I would cook supper for Carter and I, and I would have prepped like for the week all through the weekend. And um, we would have a couple of friends come over for dinner. And um, one day, one of the girls asked me if I could just cook a little bit and prep a little bit extra, put it in Tupperwares for her. And she would have her food for the week. And I was like, I think there might be a business opportunity here. So I told her to go to Costco and buy some Tupperware. <laughs> and so I started cooking for three people instead of two um, throughout the week. And then she told a friend and then that friend asked me to do the same thing for him. So family meal just turns into a, re a restaurant <laughs> yeah. at that point. It's like out of my home kitchen. And um, then when I would go to the gym, I would get people asking me like, hey, I heard that you're cooking for PFAB and for B-Russ, like, can you cook for us too? And I was like, I'm gonna need a bigger kitchen. <laughs> yeah, well, really, so when you're CrossFit coaches, mm -hmm. 
Are you, is that your full-time job? Or are you just doing no. that on top? What were you doing at the time? I was actually a project manager at Bank of America. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Why did you leave that behind <laughs> you? <laughs> I would babysit numbers at Bank of America. Yeah. yeah. So, so you, you know, you, you really have this hobby that you guys are spending time, you know, as CrossFit coaches. I got to be honest, I've cooked for a lot of friends. When do you get the nerve to say, hey, you need to start paying paying the bill? Here, here's your check. <laughs> well, I did make them pay for the food. Okay. And they had to buy their own Tupperware. Okay. Um, and then I had zero concept of what my time was worth. Right. At that point, you know, because I'm I'm a contractor at the bank, and you know we're fine now. Carter was coaching full time. Right. And um, he had actually quit his corporate job. He was an art director for ad agencies throughout the southeast, and just got burnt out. You know, after yeah. 15 years of that, he's like, I'm done. Um, so he was actually coaching full time, running that boot camp. And so he was helping me as well. When he's running that boot camp, I just just for clarification, yeah. is this he's running it for somebody else, or is this a boot camp that he's owns or, mm -hmm. or you both own? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he was a full time CrossFit coach at um, Ultimate CrossFit in South End, which is now Ultimate Strength and Conditioning. And um, they had always wanted to have an outdoor boot camp. And we Carter and I, where we had lived before, we had run an outdoor boot camp. And so when we moved back to Charlotte. We worked with Ultimate CrossFit to open up the boot camp, but it was essentially our business to run. So, so you're so this is that's your first uh, avenue into entrepreneurship yeah. at this point. But you're still working at the bank as a project yeah. manager. Your friends are now uh, you're cooking dinner for several people, and you're charging them for ingredients. Yes. When does this start turning into another business concept for you? So it was pretty quick. I mean, I think I cooked for the you know the three people in addition to what i was cooking for carter and i um for about a month and a half two months and then um we started asking the folks in the boot camp like hey if we run a new another nutrition challenge would you all be interested in purchasing meals during that nutrition challenge and they were like uh yeah and like sign me up for good and so we essentially had 10 clients we could sign up for this meal service that we were going to start so at that point, I'm like, I need to probably not do this at home. Um, feel like the health department might frown upon that. Um, so I went. Why, why do you worry about this at this point? Because for 10 people at this mm -hmm. point, we've had dinner parties that yeah. are for that. What, what You're making a conscious decision to really make this mm -hmm. le legitimate. Yeah. And you're worrying about things like that. Was it as dire at that point? Or did, did you see something? <laughs> bigger coming down well way. it's funny because at the time that i had that thought i was like i i kind of knew that this was bigger than i even like was thinking about at that point so mm -hmm. as i was taking steps to build a business and nothing against working at the bank and being a project manager but it was like the easiest job i ever had it was the most money i'd ever made mm -hmm but I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, I cannot sit in front of a computer. That's not my like idea of a great way to spend my day. And um, I just was always itching to kind of like start my own thing. And I was like that from the time I was like teeny tiny. Now I wasn't the lemonade stand and trying to figure out how to make money when I was little, right. but I was a dreamer. Right. And so I always had this like very visionary personality of like what my life was gonna be like. And it wasn't sitting in front of a computer right. <laughs> as a project manager. Um, so, so, so real quick, so the risk to leave that type of job mm -hmm. is 
is high. Yes. Okay. I'm sure you still have friends that work in corporate America or, or shortly thereafter stayed mm -hmm. in touch and have all said, I want to, I want to do what you do. I want to start my own. <laughs> yeah. Why are they there and you're not? So I think like, I don't have that switch of doubt that probably like, it might be a little bit helpful, like yeah. <laughs> in daily life. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I don't have like that. I have a really high risk tolerance, like for everything. And, and I'm, I am one of those people that I don't really take no for an answer. And so I will always find a way around through over, like if that thing right there can't happen, I'm gonna figure out how to get around it to make what I can foresee happening. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm always, you know, figuring things out, putting puzzles together in my head. And, um, and with that comes like this really, like I've got a very thick skin for risk. And um, my husband does not. I was gonna, I, that was my next question. <laughs> he's, uh, he's always like, oh my God, what is she doing now? Yeah. Um, he's gotten better at it yeah. and more tolerable of it, but I can, you know, and, and probably not in a healthful way, yeah. but I can tolerate a lot of Have you become less tolerant because yes. of his influence as well? Um, maybe a little bit. I think I'm, I've gotten to the point where I'm less tolerant of like, um, gosh, how do you put like less tolerant of like lack for myself right. for the success of my business venture. Right. And so that was one thing I think, you know, in the, in the risk aversion, you also forget about your health and your well-being and your, um, income and your lifestyle personally right. um, just for the the win or the the creation or the success of the business that you've started it, it kind of for me my business took on this like life of its own and i became the business too right. and i think one of the things that i've found and and that's where like that risk aversion, like you kind of forget yourself. Well, well not only that, you got, you're just lost in it. Like this is a way of- 100%. The, the chaos is yep. normal at this yep. point. Um, it, so now you're you're making meals for 10 people, 20 people. Mm -hmm. What's that magic number of people when you're like, goodbye corporate world? Um, I would run my meetings for the bank. Um, while I was cooking in the kitchen. Okay. And that lasted for about four months. Okay. So the so they're they're all based on the paleo diet. Mm -hmm. What's what's lighting the world on fire early on? Like, please make more of this. <laughs> um, like the type of meal? Yeah. Well, oh. not the type of the meal. What was the the one that you couldn't make enough of because people were hmm. wanting? Well, it was, so my mom was an excellent cook mm -hmm. and there probably wasn't one meal because I switched up the menu on a weekly basis. So right. nobody ever got the same thing twice. Mm -hmm. And I even made, um, paleo friendly empanadas once with mm -hmm. like where I ground the plantains myself and like it, there were tears. Yeah. Like I cried. Yeah. <laughs> it was so miserable. Um, I never made that again, but people loved them. They oh, were, they were delicious. Yeah. <laughs> Um, 
But the, uh, so I would take my mom's recipes and I would paleofy them. Mm -hmm. And so I would do like stuffed peppers and instead of like actual rice, I would use cauliflower rice. And um, it seemed like the, the more I could get into making a comfort food, paleo friendly, like that's what people really liked. Like they liked making that like favorite thing that they were kind of missing. So um, your paleo. kitchen's like your lab now that you're paleofying yeah. these meals. Before we move on to some uh, real questions into the business itself, what was the experiment gone wrong? The empanadas? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, one of, so really if I tried to do any kind of steak cut, and okay. and like any kind of scale because i had no idea what i was doing really i mean i knew how to cook for like you know two people and then five people right when i started getting into the 10 15 20 i had to learn how to scale recipes mm -hmm. and you know it's a simple math equation until there's yield issues and all of that stuff right. so it was like the that was really where the experimenting went wrong because I was a clean the refrigerator out kind of cook. Mm -hmm. No recipes, like I just am gonna cook all the stuff and here's my masterpiece. Right. When I had to actually start following recipes or like scaling things or needing enough portions for everyone that I was cooking for, there were many a time where I would go to cut and measure and then I was short like four servings. Okay. And then you had to go buy more stuff or figure out like how to how do I scale this so that everybody still gets the right amount of protein and the right, right. amount of vegetables. So that was where the like where the experiments would. would but go even wrong. those experiments you're talking about are more on a mathematical equation. Yeah. There's got to be one that you took the first taste and said, <laughs> no, 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 and it's all in the garbage. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Well, that yeah. was when I went and hired um, Brandon, who was an actual cook uh -huh. um, and said like okay when when I'm trying to do like a marinade and like I get it too spicy like how do I fix that mm -hmm. because I can't waste all of this like beautiful grass-fed meat right. but I made it too spicy and I can't package that and yeah. so um, bringing in people that were professional cooks and chefs that were helping me with that you know when we would taste something they can fix anything Right. Like it's amazing. And before, like if I made a sauce that was like bitter, I would just be like, meh, throw it away yeah. <laughs> and start over again. And they can make it work. And they can make it work. So you start bringing on employees. Mm -hmm. And and really this is a, a big issue that, whether it's a service industry or especially uh, with, with cooking, you mentioned that you had all of your ingredients and what you would charge for that. Yeah. When do you start paying attention to the cost of labor? Because right. that's, I can imagine, an ongoing exercise. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I first started, when it got big enough where I literally couldn't do it by myself, and started bringing, and even then, when do you, when did you start taking uh, affect the cost of your labor? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, like last week, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so with the with talking about the cost so we priced the meals and the it was a very serious like equation that we went through on how to price the meals i was like how much would i pay at lunch at chipotle right i mean that's how we price our meals it was like all right i'll pay ten dollars yeah i'll pay eleven dollars twelve dollars to go to lunch at chipotle and so that's how we priced the meals nothing else went into it right. and so and it was like once we started to scale it's like wait is this are we making any money? Yeah. And like for the first year, it was like, do we have money in the bank account? Like that was my version of accounting. 
Right. And, um, and so I would say it, it took getting into our own facility because I was renting space from a food truck mm -hmm. at that point, um, working in a commissary kitchen off of Remount Road. And um, when we actually went and rented our own space, that's when it was like, oh, I need to know what the cost of goods are and I need to like really understand the labor piece to this. And it's not just, do we have cash in the bank account anymore? It's like, this is a legitimate business and we need to act like it's a business. And so, you know, we we got a lot more savvy in, you know, we got an accounting system right. <laughs> and um, and we stopped using Excel for everything. Right. And, and so we started to put systems in place that would help us scale the business because the business grew really rapidly. I mean, our right. first year we made $800,000 in revenue. Right. And like, that was to me i was like oh my god we almost made a million dollars i don't have any of it but we made it <laughs> and how I, honestly yeah how do you go from 30 because to 800,000 30 people yeah to 800,000 revenue how did that happen um well we were a subscription model to start out with um and we would take you know, orders and then somebody would just say, well, I just want to be like, will you give me 10 meals every week? And that was our first, that was our first and only product. Like right. you could only get 10 meals. You couldn't could, choose them. You couldn't choose them. <laughs> you were getting what I was making. Yeah. Um, and we took payment, um, had a cash box that we stuck to the side of the refrigerator and it had a little locking key mm -hmm. and people would just put their cash or check in there. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would pick that up and everybody paid. I never had to hunt anybody down during that time when the cash box was my cash register. <laughs> it was amazing. And um, then I got one of those little squares. And so we would take credit card payments and I would sit on a Sunday afternoon after we had cooked, packaged, put everything into bags and my little cooler. Um, this was before we had the refrigerator at the gym, but I would sit on my cooler and people would come in and I'd find the bag with their name on it and hand it to them. And then we um, got really fancy and got a refrigerator and that's when we had the little cash box because then I could just put them in there and people right. didn't have to come during my two hour window that I'd be at the gym. Right. Um, and that freed up a little bit more of my time. And this seems much more than a food delivery service. This is more of a relationship mm -hmm. business. Yeah, I mean, my, like all, all of our clients, I mean, it's only been the past few years that I don't recognize names of the people that we're sending food to. But you're uh, five times, if not more bigger oh, yeah. th th than you were. Yeah, then. we're national now. <laughs> you, yeah, I was gonna say, well, in, in, in doing where you were at at that point, I mean, you weren't the first one in that space. Weight Watchers had their meals, mm -hmm. there were other places, but you were successful and you had people buying in for long periods of time. Yeah. What made you different? Um, well, I think we weren't the first to do this. Like the, the concept, you know, the way that we were packaging and the type of food we were serving, we were pretty like on the forefront of this kind of movement towards meal kits and, and prepared meal companies. I mean, we started before Blue Apron was on the scene. Right. And um, now they may have been small on the scene somewhere in right. some city, but you know, the whole meal kit world had not started yet. And getting food delivered to your home 
wasn't really a thing. I mean, yeah. the DoorDash didn't exist. And, you know, it was like the only thing you got delivered was pizza right. at the time. Um, and then from a food standpoint of getting things shipped to your home, there was mm -hmm. Omaha steaks and there was sherry berries and there was the edible arrangements. But right. that was more like a flour delivery right. than shipping. Um, so some of those things were there and they were starting, but it was a really old um, way of doing business where it was like they had an account manager and a sales rep that was calling on a monthly basis and like, hey, can I fulfill your steak order mm -hmm. or, you know, a, a gifting service or something right. like that. So when we started, it seemed like really the only way to get food to people that were interested in eating paleo was to deliver to the CrossFit gyms because it was captive audience. Right. So that was how we were going to grow. So we started at that gym in South End and then we just started like calling on gyms in the area. I would drive to Asheville to pick up beef from Hickory Nut Gap. Mm -hmm. um, you couldn't get grass fed beef in bulk in or around Charlotte at the time. So I had to drive to Asheville to get it. And while I was up there, um, Jamie Ager, who started Hickory Nut Gap was like, hey, there's a CrossFit gym you should go talk to Shauna and deliver meals while you're up here. And so, so your real customer really is the CrossFit gyms, not even yeah, the, the members. Of right. Like if we could just get a refrigerator or our cards into the CrossFit gym and start delivering food here, then people can sign up. And at this point, we actually had where you could go online and you could sign up for a recurring meal plan. Right. Um, and so we had gotten a, a little more like technically savvy. Um, we had a neighbor that was a web developer and he built like this database type website through WordPress. Right. Um, Shopify didn't exist at the right. time. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it was, it was rudimentary in what we were doing, but it was also like nobody else was doing that. Like you couldn't go online and order like prepared meals to be delivered to your CrossFit gym on a weekly basis. Um, when we first started that. So we started to grow into other gyms and that's when we had to be a lot more efficient in our ordering system. And so then like the big commerces and the Shopify's were just starting to come on the scene at that time. So, so you're really a business to business uh, at, at that point, even though it's, you need subscribers, you, yeah. you're really shopping by those clusters. Yeah, the relationship was with the CrossFit gym owners and mm -hmm. developing that relationship to A, put a refrigerator in their gym, mm -hmm. um, B, trust you with contacting their clients right. that go to their gym um, and being able to go into their gym when nobody's there to deliver meals into the refrigerator. So mm -hmm. these gym owners were giving us keys to their facility, alarm codes, you know, we were in their gym when nobody was there putting food in the refrigerator for people to pick up. Right. Um, so by sticking to that mission and your goals and that vision that you've set mm -hmm. up, which seemed like an uphill battle by being told you can't do it, yeah. it, uh, it catches the attention of a famous athlete that shares those same yeah. values. Uh, you now carry the TB12 brand. Mm -hmm. How did that come to be? How does Tom Brady or his people. I like to think that Tom Brady was like, this is my company. He personally <laughs> called you. We're I, besties. Yeah, he, he texts you emojis <laughs> and everything. But how does that, that uh, relationship start? Mm -hmm. So this is where um, word of mouth does magical things. So um, one of our clients was also a client of the TB12 method at their Foxborough facility in Massachusetts. And, and just the method, no product line or anything, right? No, so the way TB12 works is it's actually a brick and mortar place that you go in for um, getting 
like, you know, let's say, like right now I'm dealing with a shoulder issue. So mm -hmm. I would go to a TB12 um, coach and I would be like, my shoulder is jacked up. Right. And they would be like, oh, well, let's look at how you move. How's your sleep? What are you eating? Um, how, what's your flexibility like? So it's, you know, what's your hydration like? So they start to ask all of these questions and um, and they, they don't just treat the symptom, but they look at how, like what caused it to happen. So mm -hmm. what is it about your movement, your lack of hydration? Do you have a crappy diet? You know, so they really look at those things and approach it from these different monikers that, that is the TB12 method. Right. Um, and your business fits right into that. The nutrition how, part. The nutrition part. Yep. So our, uh, one of their clients was using our service to stay on the nutrition plan that the, the coach had given her. And so she took one of the meals into their, um, I guess their head of like their head dietitian and was like, you need to try these meals. They're amazing. It's a female owned company. Um, in North Carolina, they raise, like they use sustainably raised and ingredients and like, you should really check all the boxes. All the boxes. Yeah. Cause I, I've read about his diet and it's, it's very detailed, very, yeah. uh, restrictive to yeah. some degree. Yeah. And, um, and it like, Primarily, it's all about inflammation, which is not yeah. that far off from when you're talking about paleo and keto and yeah. Mediterranean diet. It's like take out all the really processed foods and it's amazing what will happen for you. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, we actually got an email from Tiffany at TB12.com into our info at thegoodkitchen.com. And did you believe it was real? Well, Rebecca, our uh, customer service manager, sent it, she emailed it to me and she was like, um, I think maybe you should take this one. And I was <laughs> like, what's, and I was looking at the computer. I was like, what's TB12? And then Carter goes, what do you know about TB12? And I was like, I got an email from Tiffany at TB12. What is it? And he goes, Tom Brady, number 12. And I was like, oh, maybe we should call her back. <laughs> and so um, we like, I emailed her back. We scheduled a call like that same week and we had a couple conversations with her. And she's like, I really think that, you know, this could be a really good partnership. I'm gonna go ahead and like start to gather the troops over here um, to get on a call and let's see what we can do. And so we started having conversations um, with the, you know, their um, director of com or he was the VP of commerce at the time. And then um, my contact who I speak with on a regular basis is um, is in charge of all their partnerships. And so he goes out and finds like partnerships like this. And um, so we I mean, we were having discussions around this for probably six months um, and then, you know, got into the contract negotiations and all that stuff. And so um, it was just, it's, it was a really good fit and it just continued to show itself as a good fit the, the further we got down this road. Um, and then it was a really collaborative effort too. And we worked um, pretty closely with their folks to create these meals for the TB12 performance meals. Um, so all of the meals are curated by the Good Kitchen and TB12. Okay. Um, so we worked on it. And that it. started officially? That started officially um, at the end of last year. The end of last year. And did mm -hmm. he do anything at the beginning of this year that would help you guys? Uh, what was it? Yes, yeah. he won a Super Bowl. Uh, did that have Again. Did, yeah. <laughs> did, did that have any impact? Oh, on, my gosh. Our business doubled. Did, the I mean, TB12 business doubled. Did, did it... 
do you like to say you knew it all along? This was the plan from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> it, did you did you initiate the the trade to Tampa Bay for all this? Yeah, to, to I was take like, place? I need you to be in Florida. Yeah. Um, well, it was funny because he. So I am. Um, don't tell them this. Okay. They kind of. I'm not a big sport ball fan. Right. Um, uh, the fact that you call it sport ball is, yeah. So, so and I call it, they wear outfits. And yeah. Like Carter makes fun of me. Yeah. But um, yeah, not a big like football fan. Right. And, um, but this year I have been. Yeah. So I've like watched football games and gotten really excited about the Super Bowl. And um, so it, you know, it's been, it's been a little surreal. Right. you know, to have like that, um, that big of a brand to show interest and be excited about our brand. Does that put any additional pressure? Cause it is a big brand. Oh, it's huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You want to get everything right. And so when, you know, with the good kitchen, even, you know, that's really important too. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's like when things go wrong, that's your, thing to go wrong to deal with. When it's TV 12, it's like, I don't want to disappoint you, yep. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. If you could go back in time and give yourself one bit of knowledge that you you learned the hard way, what would that be? Oof. One bit of knowledge. Uh, it would be to make myself a priority. Yeah. Are, are you learning that now? Yes. Oh. This this is the year of making Amber a priority. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, I, I, I've got to ask this after everything we've yeah. talked about. When you break down and eat a piece of junk food, yes. what is the worst garbage you eat? <laughs> oh, french fries. French fries. Mm -hmm. Any, anywhere in particular? Um, or it just can just... Oh, or maybe tater tots. Any kind of fried potato with a lot of salt and like yeah. some ranch dressing. Yeah. Like that's my, that's my Achilles heel. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for <laughs> coming you. in today. That's so. Thanks for watching. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash or visit casmoreward.com to catch up on previous episodes.